0: Welcome to the Godspeed Institute, an enlightening and positive forum exploring all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems as an on-air classroom, in an effort to help people better understand each other, promote tolerance, and foster peace. I'm your host, Care Howlandbeck. Pastor Chantelle Renee Wright loves God, music, and children, and her life is dedicated to the pursuit of all three. She is the founder and director of the nonprofit organization Songs of Solomon, an inspirational ensemble, and her exquisite gospel choir fires up the soul and transforms hearts one performance at a time. The ensemble has toured the United States and Canada and has performed with opera's great Jesse Norman and with Elton John at Radio City Music Hall. Today, the ensemble finds itself as a mainstay at the world-famous Carnegie Hall, but most of all, the choir is committed to spreading the good news. Wright is the founder and pastor of NUMA Ministries in Harlem and also lends her gifts to the vocal music department of the Steinhardt School of Music at New York University. Prior, she has served as director of the Girls' Choir of Harlem, artistic director of the Queens Symphony Orchestra Youth Gospel Choir, and is a recipient of the New York Times Teachers Who Matter Most Award. A native of chicago she received her formal education at vandercook college of music chantelle welcome to the program and thank you so much for being with us today
1: the pleasure is all mine
0: now s-o-s save our souls (laughs) it's also (laughs) s-o-s as in songs of solomon ensemble Mm -hmm. i had the extreme pleasure of hearing your group in rockport maine recently and, as you might recall, that uh severe weather, I don't know if it was the weather, the chill, but the concert started off you might say a little uh <laughs> on the stiff neck side <laughs> mm-hmm. and then uh and you just roused up a whole community uh basically in an hour with your group, and really, we felt that heat and we carried it out and I just want to thank you for that. It's funny how small the world is when we can all meet like that in a, in a little place in, in Maine and just open up the whole world. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey? I'd love to hear uh, about what role music played in your childhood uh, and about your faith journey as well, um, perhaps in your household growing up.
1: Well, I was born and raised in Joliet, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago. And about fifty five miles southwest of the city. And, you know, God doesn't make any mistakes. I grew up in a church where the music ministry is solid. was solid. Um, not only did I come out of the Mount Zion Baptist Church, but Anne Nesby um uh, came through that church. She's um formerly of the Sounds of Blackness, and Liz Withers, who played Suge Avery on Broadway. Many of the singers that I grew up with in my church at home are now working professionally and doing very well. And so we had a legacy of fine music. We had learned musicians. Geraldine McDonald played the piano uh, for 41 years. Uh, James Brown just retired last summer uh for 57 years of service in music ministry and so i grew up in this Ida a's choir uh which is a sunbeam choir and at three years old i sang my first little song in this Ida a's choir and then because the program was graduated we left there and went to um the young people's choir with miss mcdonald and i sang there and um By high school, there was a gap in the programming at my church. And so um, with about 20 other young people, we formulated the Zion Melody Choir. And by the time I went to college, we were up to upwards of 150 members and would do musicals and concerts and staged productions. And, you know, my, my church really supported that. And outside of the church community, um, you know, arts were in the school in Joliet. We had beautiful choirs and a wonderful theater program in my junior high school. And I went to public school, you know, and we just had exposure to the arts. And so the two cross-pollinated since I can, since I can remember. There was never a time when I wasn't in church and there was, has never been a time that I didn't do music. Uh, I come from a line of preachers. My grandfather is a uh was a Baptist preacher, and uh a lot of the women in my family are preachers and pastors um so the boys didn't take the mantle the girls did in this generation and i'm among them and so I just don't ever remember a time when I wasn't singing and praising the Lord and at church, and I believe that that's the thing that saved me was that 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 upbringing. Uh, we don't always all walk the straight and narrow path for the continuum of our lives, but I believe that that seed that was sown, I watched women walk in holiness. Uh, I watched them be great wives. I watched uh, the adults around me take the work that they did for the Lord very seriously. And I didn't know the impact that it was having on me at the time. But I'm so grateful that I had that type of experience. You know, my, my pastor from home, Pastor Sing, Isaac Singleton, he died last Febu- three Februaries ago now. Be, this will be the third year of his death. You know, he was married to the same woman, Mother Singleton is still there uh, and, and still attending church as regularly as she can. So I didn't see the microwave religion that I see now. I saw people who made a commitment, and they were there. In, in the snow, in, in the winter, in the springtime, they were just there and their hearts were sold out to do the will of the Lord.
0: Thank you so much, Chantel, that that was very powerful. And I wanna ask you, what do you mean when you say microwave religion?
1: Microwave religion, you know, it's a cost. The word asks us to take up our cross and follow him. Everybody wants the benefits of what what God does and the benefits of the blood of Jesus on the cross, but we don't want to live in holiness. We want to do everything that the world is doing, and we have to be separate. We can't just walk around and, you know, and be drinking and smoking and cursing and acting crazy. You know, there's a standard that we're to uphold, and I'm just from the old school. (laughs) I just, I don't know any other way to do it than what I saw. And so we have to be very careful (laughs) Now even as parents that we're so busy that we're showing our children a life of distraction, but I saw people that prayed. I saw people that went to church. They were at the church. They were doing the work. They were reaching out to people in the community. They were feeding the poor. There was a work that was being done. It wasn't just, let me go and do my time on Sunday morning and go back to my busy life. I don't, I never knew that life. I never saw that.
0: Yes, I can understand what you're talking about. Now we ha- today, we have to remind families to just have like dinner together and right. remind them that this is beneficial to your children and re- and reduces depression. <laughs> we need a study mm-hmm. to tell that. <laughs> to tell. Yeah, when you
1: that. sit down, you know, my son and I, we sit down and we eat. You know, the kids from the choir. You know, Pastor Cook tonight, so the grapevine will go out, and they'll come over and we'll eat together. And there's something so basic about dinner conversation that's not distracted by the TV, that's not distracted by the electronics, where you can just talk to one another. And those conversations are the things that save our children. You know, if they're not having you know, adult interaction, then all of their information is coming from their peers or from, from, from the Internet. And a lot of them are in a lot of trouble just because they're lacking that very basic you know, community. You know, I knew that if I got in trouble at school, by three o'clock, it was through the grapevine. And I got in trouble from everybody. You know, my teachers, my grandmother owned the beauty shops in, in Joliet. And so they would go to my grandmother and get their hair done. You know, my aunt drove the bus. And, and Well, Shanny got in trouble today at school, and I would get all of these phone calls. But we don't have that net of safety around our children anymore. And that's why I've I've modeled the old school approach with Songs of Solomon. The discipline is very stringent. Um, the rigor is very stringent. Just because these are the things that, you know, when I look at where I'm at now, it was, a, it was just the basics. You are not allowed to speak to adults in any way you felt. That you wanted to. You addressed them yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And every adult had the authority to correct you. And I believe that that was the thing that gave us some of the basics of behavior that allow you to be able to walk into doors like Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. They're not going to let somebody who doesn't have any self control do any work for them. And I think that's one of the main pieces that's missing. You know, I taught for you know I still teach I do more consultant work now but I, I taught for 25 years and I, and I just you got to love a child hard and you have to discipline them and if they don't have the discipline you can't teach them just you can't teach them
0: that's very if, true you know if
1: there's no order you can't teach them
0: something i something i have <laughs> preached about myself mm-hmm. is is the um, the word obedience has mm-hmm. has taken a wrong turn in our culture and has come to mean something involving submission to another or some kind of being put down. But the, mm-hmm. root, the root of the word to be obedient is from the French and Latin to listen, to give ear to. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. It means to just truly listen to what someone is telling you. And uh, I think we're kind of missing that amidst the barrage of messages coming to young people today. You know, we have a lot of information, but there's very little context. It's, it's a lot of noise. It's a lot of messages. A lot of it is, you know, free speech doesn't mean necessarily how least common denominator foul you can be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: And you're telling the truth. And so we had that community kept us safe. You know, I, and I, and I'm so grateful. You know, I thought they were crazy when I was growing up. And, of course, you rebel against it. But if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I, I went right back, and I, I find myself saying some of the same things that my grandmother would say, saying some of the same things that my pastor would say, and I never thought that I would be in this place, but that formula, it just worked. And I pray, and it's, and it's worked with Songs of Solomon as well. I'm so grateful. Um, of the outcomes of the children's lives. Mm. Um, it was a huge sacrifice, and it's a sacrifice that I will continue to make until God tells me to do something different. Um, but it's been very interesting because I got called to pastor in 2010, and I'm like, well, Lord, you want me to do both? How am I going to manage a choir and a church? Uh, and so it's been a very delicate balance but both of them were still moving on the, on, the right, on the right path, and I'm really grateful for that.
0: Now, Chantel, can you share about your drive to help children and the role that music plays in there?
1: You know, I think each one of us gets a burden in our lives. And I know that music saved me when I was growing up, I didn't, you know, the girls could really belt out the gospel music. And I couldn't. That just wasn't the noise God gave me. But, you know, again, Mrs. McDonald and Clotilde Palmer and uh, Mother Singleton, those women were were sopranos. And I would listen to them sing the anthems because we still sang the high church anthems. And I found my niche there. and. You know, growing up, you, all, you have journeys and things happen to you in your life. But it was the music that, that gave me an outlet and it validated me when I did not feel that strong validation from my peers. Um, you know, kids can be mean in junior high school. I was tall. And I had moved back to Joliet. We went to Detroit for a while. And I moved back to Joliet and I didn't find the, the, the acceptance straight away. And, you know, you go through a crisis in junior high school. And so here was that music and I could outsing them. They were small and cute, but I could outsing them. And there were teachers that nurtured that and trained me along the way my voice was fully developed in junior high school i had a full vibration and it was you know when they let me sing in a church i would sing the anthem of church and so that music saved me and because it saved me at that critical juncture you know it became my burden music saved me and when i i hadn't planned on studying music education in college You know, I thought that I had found my little voice, and I went to a Catholic high school, and I got lots of exposure, so I was headed to be the next Gladys Knight, and my mom said, absolutely not. If you're going to study music, you have to get an education degree. I won't be able to take care of you for the rest of your life, and get this education degree, and you'll still be able to study music, so that was her compromise, right, so I still got to study music, uh, but it wasn't uh, performance. And so I went ahead and got my degree, and teaching just came so naturally to me. And Dr. Sterling Culp really cultivated that. When I tell you he took me under his wing, he took me under his wing. And, you know, he's a very, very well-known um, music educator in the in the Midwest, and he showed me everything he knew and from that i was able to teach and i just fell in love with it and i came out and, you know most people study uh, study and they teach in elementary school i came out teaching high school and that was the age i gravitated you know to and so since 1990 i think or 91 i've been teaching high school and i did a couple of uh uh internships and teaching gigs before i even graduated from high school from college so since around 1987 or so, I've been teaching high school kids music. And, and, and the same way it saved me, I watch it save them. And what a joy.
0: Well that's an that's an amazing time to be entering their lives because it's it's the peak as in young people those years in terms of of reaching and questing and pushing some boundaries and quests and sometimes they're good quests and sometimes they're not you know in terms of where they're trying to explore but I I want to just um ask you to Preach a little to me now, because you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're talking about saving language. Mm-hmm. And if you could, um, tell me about the transit of the human soul in this world and what you mean when you say you were saved, because we go through a lot on our journey, and this is where, to me, this is where spirituality, you know, the rubber meets the road.
1: This is exactly where it meets the road, and you don't get there overnight. I believe that in any love relationship, it it grows over time. And because I was exposed to the love of God so early in my life, when I say saved, there was a time when I didn't live the way I'm living now. I was a mess. You hear? I rebelled. I went as far in the other direction, completely as far in the opposite direction as I could go. But I always knew and I always heard the voice of God in the back of my mind, knowing eventually at some point I was going to give up the crazy living and return. And so when I say being saved, that means that when we take our last breath, and, and I know this is, because now I'm a Pentecostal preacher, I have to just preach it just like this. When we take our last breath, we're going somewhere. I believe uh, we're going to go somewhere. And at, at the end of my journey, I've got to see Jesus. When I'm done with working here and singing songs and preaching sermons and helping other people, I want to dwell with him in eternity. And that's what I believe that when we, when we die, we go someplace. And I believe that we have a choice in how we live here that will dictate where we go. And God uses, He knows us and loves us so much that He knows what will get our attention. And He orchestrates through His providential sovereignty, uh, people, places, and things that bring us close to him where we make the choice that we'll live for him, that we will serve him, and that when we die, we'll dwell with him forever. And music was the thing. I mean, he gave it to me for a long time. You know, um, I did music my whole life, and then he called me to pastor. I was not prepared to be a pastor. I wasn't seeking it. I wasn't one of those people that, oh, I can't wait to, to get a big church. It was the farthest thing from my mind, but I knew that he was calling me to something higher. I could feel feeling, and I thought I had told him yes in every area of my life. And then Bishop uh, Kenneth H. Moles, I was we were doing a concert at Bishop Chambers Church in Brooklyn in April of 2010. And he snuck in and saw us, because he and the bishop were friends. And you know, you see the choir and what we do, <laughs> and so it was a, the church was on fire, and Bishop pulled me aside on the sidewalk, and he said, "There's a pastoral call on your life." and the light bulb went off. And I said, "You know, I'm not ready for this, but I'll do it because I always want to do what I'm supposed to be doing. We only get in trouble when we know that we're supposed to be doing one thing and then we go and choose to do something different. Can I just
0: preach it out for one minute? Yes, and I and I also have the question in there that no matter what you've done, let's say, or what we have done, is God's forgiveness there for everyone, no matter what yet yeah, no matter how far that pendulum has swung? No, no
1: matter what. And so here we are. No and and, and just so people understand, no matter how far the pendulum swings. God's grace is sufficient. But this is where the gray area is. He forgives us, correct? But every time Jesus healed somebody or or got them out of a tough situation, right, he told them to sin no more. You know, it's just like with our children. If you tell them, don't touch the stove, baby, you put your hands on the stove, it's going to get burned. They put their hands on the stove one time. You see the blister, you put whatever aloe vera or whatever you put on a burn, and then you you hope and pray in your mind that they have enough sense not to put their hands on the stove again. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But you know, He's not I learned that it's not an unlimited Metro card. For me that you have to make a choice that once he does save you and continuously forgives us he's expecting us to grow and not keep doing the same crazy things over and over and over again do we continue in sin that grace may abound no we're supposed to die to those things and live a new life and he gives us that new life if we want it you know and i i i was uh when I came out of college, I was in a bad place. And so I chose to live a lesbian lifestyle. I lived, it, I lived it openly for 25 years. And in 2005, everywhere I went, because in the Pentecostal churches, you know, there's a prophetic word. There are men and women who are blessed to see in the spirit realm. And they speak to you. And Prophet Mitchell out of Detroit in 2005 said, uh, the Lord going to send you a husband. And I laughed. This was in 2005, and everywhere we went, if it was in a holiness church, some mother would walk up to me, the Lord is sending you a husband, you're going to get married." and to the point where I just didn't even want to hear it anymore. and I was married to a woman at the time, and I'm cracking up laughing. all hell broke loose in 2006, and by 2007, I was single and by myself, and I knew that I had a choice to make, either I was going to continue and miss it, or I was going to do what God had called me to do. And in that period, we would fast and pray, and I would just keep hearing ministry of healing and deliverance, ministry of healing and deliverance. And so I found myself just praying this prayer over and over again. And by 2007, I walked away, and I just said, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, you have my undivided attention and my life is so different. I just, I'm not looking over my shoulder. I don't feel ashamed because when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. No matter what you're telling yourself on a daily basis, when you know a fact, that fact doesn't release you. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: You mean just knowing it?
1: It's just knowing the truth. If you know that one plus one equals two, yeah. you can't write three on the board. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't do it. Right. And so I knew that there was something bigger. I knew that my life was grievous to my family. I knew that there was something bigger that I was supposed to do. And if I didn't clean up my act, then I was going to miss it. And I just didn't want to miss it, you know. You when you're born, and I, I spoke earlier about a burden that you have in your heart. I knew from a little girl that there was something that I was gonna do that was gonna transform the earth. I always knew it. I, I you just know. You know when there's a seed of um, of change, a uh, a seed of. Um, transformation. You know it. You just absolutely know. And I knew it from from little. I knew that I would be doing something really big. And so there was always obstacles in my way that stopped me from doing that. But God never let go of me. He kept whispering to me. He kept putting me in places where the things I would do were being challenged. He kept calling me. And I am so grateful that one morning I woke up and I said yes, and since two thousand and seven i can 't tell you how different my life is i am i've had access to places I never would have imagined i've been all over the world i've been traveling i've been 've been able to sing and and preach, and it was because I made a choice to live my life differently, and because of that. Other people's lives are now being changed, and that's the bottom line. Isn't that what we were created for? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I went <laughs> off on a tangent. I just felt that thing rare up on the inside of me, and I had to get it out.
0: No, thank you, thank you. <laughs> now, now, when you founded the ensemble, uh-huh. then, and I, I want to bring this back to the music. Mm-hmm. What need did you see it fulfilling when you talk about? For the singers, for the audience, for yourself, for for transforming the earth, as you just said.
1: I was um artistic director of the Queen Symphony Orchestra Youth Gospel Choir. And it just got so exhausting for me that gospel was just an art form. And so that was one of the things for me. I needed it to be something deeper for me. And then it rubbed off on the kids because many of them had come, some of them had come from church and some of them were unchurched. But the need for Songs of Solomon was that children, no matter where they came from, it was going to be a place for them to, one, choose to serve Jesus, two, serve whoever they were serving in a more um, genuine and uh, committed way and for those who didn't have anything, that they would find uh their own faith, that they would find their own voice, that they would find their own path. And so it was a lot of things. That was number one. My goal is to make sure that every kid that comes through at least knows what heaven is and prayerfully have a desire to want to go there. The second need that uh I we, we met straight away was all of these really talented kids had the talent base, which is only the 5%, but all of the other extrinsic things uh, and character development was not in place. And so they were uber talented, but they were not able to move past that point. You know a lot of talented people are sitting on the subway doing nothing right now. And so we began to develop the Uh, college prep piece of the ministry, and that helped kids get into college. I'm like, if you're here, you're going to go through the process. Whether you stay in or not, everybody that comes through Songs of Solomon has to apply for a trade school, for the military, or for college. Those were the options. And so all of the exposure that they got, I didn't want it just to be you know, a place where we were developing the next Mary J. Blige or the next Barbara Streisand. But the same way my mom put it for me, you had to have some sort of education. Mm-hmm. And so we began getting them ready for colleges.
0: Mm, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and 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 a hundred percent every year. Um, this class that's coming out next year is the largest class that we graduate. That graduated, there were seventeen of them that left. And they're all in school except for one.
0: Now I've I've heard the choir and it's amazing. And I was wondering since I want to treat our listeners to some of your music <laughs> during the show, do you have what we consider it like a flagship song? Because I heard a couple in there that that might be you know sort of like anthems of the ensemble
1: on the on the CD.
0: No, in the actual concert that I attended, um, um, there this was little
1: the, light of mine. We sing it everywhere we go. For the la- since we founded the organization, we sing um, this little light of mine. We sing King Jesus is a listening.
0: Yeah, that's we, a that's a great one. And yes. and there was another one that you began with the not today, um, and it's the eight notes that you sing to. You know that that's like your shield. That's the war cry. The wa- is that the war cry. That's the war cry. And that's what it's called.
1: It's the, it is the war cry. Okay. Um, and when I uh, and I, when I, told, I was speaking to you earlier about Bishop Moles, um, you know, you, you find yourself in situations, and sometimes we just give up. And when I met this man, I had never heard anybody talk about victory as much as he talked about victory. How can you be flat broke, almost on the streets, and still have victory? And being around him uh, for the short period of time that I, he was in my life, That was one of the ways that he would just push darkness. You could feel it leave the room. And he would sing those, da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum, and the worship would just break out. The praise would break out in the room, and you just knew that you had victory. And that war cry, we did eight variations of it. Uh, it's all it's all throughout the body of Christ, especially in Pentecostal and Baptist churches. You know, you go someplace and you'll hear it. But you know, and I shared it with the audience in Maine because you know, if 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 you are in Maine and you know that there's something that you have that would help me here in Harlem, surely you would share it, right? And so I try to just share that everywhere I go, and that we did eight variations of it on our um, on our recording.
0: Well, I think, I think I may, I may want to select that one. We're a little more than halfway through our talk here. I'd like to just take a short break for a program ID. And Chantel, I'm just going to ask you to stay on the line. Not a problem this is care hallenbeck and you're listening to the godspeed institute a program dedicated to spiritually based living and to religious tolerance when we return from the break we'll continue our conversation with pastor Chantel wright leader of the songs of solomon inspirational ensemble stay with us oh. Welcome back to the Godspeed Institute. You're live with CARE, and we're speaking with Pastor Chantel Wright, leader and founder of the Songs of Solomon Inspirational Ensemble. Now, Chantel, we covered a great deal of material in the first part of the show. Now, could you please share at this time about the great tradition of gospel music? It holds so much power.
1: Well, if you think back um, in this country, even to slavery, it was the music that got people through, you know, the spirituals, the work songs, then the blues. It got them through. And then Thomas Dorsey, um, which we are a part of the Thomas Dorsey Convention, we go every summer. Thomas Dorsey combined both of them and he took a lot of heat uh, when he began to play blues turnarounds and whatnot, um, but his wife was very sick when he wrote Precious Lord, and that's one of the mainstays now in any church of the African-American diaspora, and this music, uh, you can sing the Word of God in the psalm, and the Word does what it does, you know, it's here to reprove, it's here to rebuke, it's here to It's here to inspire. It's here to encourage. And when you put the word of God in music, you've got a double whammy. You know, people need encouragement every day. Life is hard. And so this music, this gospel music that we have, you know, tells of the good news of a risen Savior. And it also inspires people. And gospel music, I think, you know, it's taken a lot of turns message is still clear, you know, that Jesus saves. And if you're lost you can be found. And if you're you don't have hope, there's hope. And if and if you're in bondage you can be free. And if you're lonely, he he's a friend. You know, and and, and as that text of the Bible is being sung, you know, there's nothing more beautiful I believe.
0: I agree. Mm-hmm. Um can you share some about the actual um the music itself, um how it is uh, constructed, how where that came from, uh, the spiritual lineage in relation to the church, because it's so powerful today. It 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 cuts mm-hmm. through things as much as it did, you know, in, pr- in earlier times.
1: Well, when you think again, uh, when you think back, when the slaves were brought over to the ship, they came, on ships, they came from Africa. There was a different form of worship in Africa. When we came to the United States uh, we were introduced to Christianity and the same, um, and it's such an oxymoron, the same Bible that was used to keep the slave in, in obedience is the same word that liberates us now. And the word of God, you know, Christianity is, uh, was presented to our culture and those words, uh, Moses uh, took the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when you hear a a spiritual go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land, tell O Pharaoh to let my people go. That's word. Uh, I'm looking uh, looking for a building. Mm. Uh, I'm living in a building not made by man's hands. That's the word of God. Mm. And so those were hymns uh, or spirituals that were sung in the fields they were used as code songs for um, people to escape out of slavery. Uh, that music is powerful, and it's been a part of, the, of our fabric, you know, since we came to this country. And it's critical. I mean, there's times where I'll hear swing low, sweet Jerry coming forward to carry me on. I'll be in the shower, and that song will pop up in my heart, and I'll sing it. When I'm feeling by myself, I can sing a song. And be lifted, because it's not only music, but it's also the Word. And it came out of something so horrible. You know, you think some of the biggest blessings that we've ever, you know, experienced in our lives oftentimes come out of really horrible experiences. And just the making it through, we know that God has kept us.
0: Yes, yes. You know, my my father was Jewish, and the song he sang in the shower was Old Man River.
1: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Does that that kind of make it clear for you?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, it does. Now, um, your career and and that of the choir uh, is just full of great successes. And, you know, for example, you're playing Carnegie Hall regularly. Mm. But what were some of the challenges and barriers or even failures along the way?
1: You know, there's failures every day. (laughs) You know, I look at challenges. Uh, I think money is one of the biggest challenges for us as a nonprofit. Because, you know, it's a fee-based program. And I make them make an investment. You know it's hard for me to watch people spend two hundred and fifty dollars on a pair of sneakers and not putting anything toward their future and so you know they pay a hundred bucks a month some of them do some of them don't uh, that's one of the things uh, to know that you're supposed to do all of these wonderful things and and never really have the Rockefeller backing Does that make sense in having to consistently hustle for the money that's just one of the major challenges yeah but it never stopped me you realize yeah i never i said i don't care if i got two dollars in my pocket if i'm supposed to go i'm going to go and it has been a tremendous faith walk for me being that when i got called to the pastorate you know i wasn't able to work as much as I was because most of the money, all the money I ever made, I just dumped it back into the choir. Mm. Mm. And so um, when that source dried up, I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And, and and when you decide in your mind that you're going to walk in your purpose, as you're walking, the provision is there. Um, it's not comfortable,
0: mm. but
1: it's always there. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes, it does. That's
1: one of the major challenges. Yeah, And then... Teaching accountability and developing, help to de- helping to develop character in people is very difficult. By nature, most people
0: don't want to do what they're supposed to do. Right, but I think by nature, <laughs> most people are affected by role models as well. And I've True. seen you in action. <laughs> right. It's, and, that's another,
1: you know, and it's a challenge. It is yeah. an upward mm. battle. Mm-hmm. especially with this group coming up now, you know, because I started taking them younger because I realized there was no music, very few music programs, continuous, continuum music programs. Mm-hmm. And so I started taking them in, in junior high school. And they are the toughest group. Um, but I keep I keep going in at it. Mm-hmm. Failures, I've had many. Public failures. Uh, and what it does, it keeps you humble. And so when people, when I look at my resume, um, and I've done a lot of wonderful stuff. I've been really blessed. Been to Africa, been to Rome. I just got back from Rome on uh, New Year's Eve <clears throat> for the third year in a row. I've, I've had some awesome opportunities. But I believe the failures are what I appreciate most because it keeps things in perspective for me. That no matter where the door is open you still have to be in prayer. No matter what doors swing open, you still have to be humble because it's not about you anyway. And that's the beauty for me of failing. Mm. And especially the public ones. And I've had some humdingers, um, some major failures. And each one has humbled me in a way that moving forward always, I don't feel that I'll have any issue. If 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 my life turns and and the whole world knows my name. You know, the failures have been catastrophic enough <laughs> that it <laughs> keeps me in a very low and humble place. Hmm. Um always ready to serve and not having any sense of entitlement. You know, failures let you know that nobody owes you anything, correct?
0: Oh, well said. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well said. <laughs> Now, you and the, and the ensemble have have traveled extensively in the U.S. and in Canada and such. And now, do you see the music having the same effect when you travel and in other countries is one question? And also, have you performed uh, for people of, of diverse uh, religious background and find that the gospel music connects with other faiths as well?
1: Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, the 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 travel first of all, when it's the truth, when it is pure, it doesn't matter where you sing it, because it's the spirit that people connect to. You you, you know if somebody kisses you, with a cold kiss or a kiss of love, you can tell the difference, can you? And so when we travel, mm-hmm. I you know, we pray and we fast. And when they get up, it has to be authentic, and it has to be the truth. And it can't be about your ego. It can't be about you having another great opportunity. It's about the love in your heart reaching the other people that are in the audience that they feel that love and want to move to a better place. And that's it. And I teach it loud, and I teach it hard everywhere we go um in in non-english speaking countries it's you know it's the same truth it's just the same truth so i didn't i don't really have that problem um when we sing for other denominations because it's pure i don't i haven't had opposition and you would think that i would cuz i preach jesus pretty hard but it comes from a place where I'm not judging you. It comes from a place of of pure love, and I believe it's just the love that transcends all of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when it's when it's all said and done, you know, if 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 there was a, a natural disaster, and we were all you know in like a tsunami, nobody's going to be asking you, "Well, what religion are you?"
0: Are exactly. they? No, exactly. No, they're
1: not. There's no time for that foolishness. They're going to ask you, can I help you in some way, or they won't help you. And so when when we go out, um, you know, we were just in Africa last year, and we went into a uh, the maximum security prison, and we sang there. And many of those pe- men, you know, they sp- spoke different dialects. But you could see them weeping because it was the love that touched their heart. It was the love that moved them. It was the love that made them feel validated in that moment. Um, when I go to Rome, people don't speak English in those audience.
0: No, and they it's of course, and it's of course, vastly, uh, you know, Roman Catholic.
1: Roman Catholic. Right. And I come in with my Pentecostal film. <laughs> you know, Wake them up. <laughs> and, and, I, and and it's just love. It's mm-hmm. love, and I believe that is the greatest power and i believe that it transcends all religions we have our beliefs and we can't help how we come to them you understand what i'm saying right every one of us comes to them on our own terms but i believe that if at the core we love like god loves god so loved the world that's so much that he gave his only son That's the soul love. If we could get that peace in everything that we do, I just know that things are going to be better. And so when I get these wonderful opportunities, no matter how they come, I go in as transparent as I can. I go in as fearless as I can. I go in as humble as I can. Here we were in Rockport, Maine. You hear me?
0: Yeah, I did. And
1: there, <laughs> you know, two black people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I could see the apprehension. They were there because it had never been there before. And many people just came to see. And that's a great thing. Because at least if you come to see, you're open to something. And, and it's the love that breaks all of that down. And after a while, you feel that love coming through the vessel. You, you begin to not see skin color. You know, I'm going out in February to uh, Utah, and I, do, I hang out with Dr. Jessup, <laughs> with the Mormons, and it's the same love, and they don't believe what I believe, but because it's rooted in love and not in anything else, I have to let love do what it does. Mm. Does that make sense? Amen. <laughs> And so when I'm in front of other people and I and I'm oftentimes in front of the Jewish crowds, I'm often in front of Mormon crowds, I'm often in times of non-English speaking people and I've just been so graciously blessed that whatever this truth is God has put in me, I can give it to other people in a way that they can receive it because it's not riddled with anything else but love
0: you know chantal in a couple of weeks um mm-hmm. i'll be celebrating like 4 years of hosting this program and we have spoken with people of faith around the world and mm-hmm. basically every tradition i think out there but when you speak to someone long enough uh, or sing <laughs> as you do mm-hmm. as you as you speak to them we wind up talking about the same things right. uh, in all the the traditions around the world it comes down to love, it comes down to family, and it comes down to making the kind of choices that that will feel like a good path in your life. Right. And being and being self-aware that way. And mm-hmm. and you're so right. In a moment of, for example, when you were talking about a tsunami, I I thought of 9-11, because right. I'm a native New Yorker, you know, that day showed us exactly who we are in the midst of something like that. Everyone reaching out for each other, people not asking who their neighbor is. Doing right. the right thing, even unto death, in many cases. Even unto death. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's that was who, a tough day. That was got a tough many day tough days ahead of us, right? In many ways, in terms of our humanity and and what and, and people reaching for each other. You know, I think, of course, there is hope. I think people are basically good, and and when I and touched like that, when we're just suddenly awakened to our natural instinct, I think that's exactly what we do: is love.
1: And We love. And then, and and then love does what it does. And we don't have to control it. We don't have to try to fix it. It just does what it does. And it leads people to light and it leads them to God. It leads them to the, I believe it leads them to the love of Jesus. And, you know, if, if I get those opportunities, I just want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to do anything else. I want to teach. I want to sing. I want to preach. I want to love people. It's a burden in my heart, and and children, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to have had this 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 journey, and and it's been big, and it's been demonstrative, it's been painful, because it's lonely in this place sometimes. But we know that we're never alone.
0: Well, as we near the end of the interview, I just want to let listeners know that all of Chantel's website and contact information. Uh, is posted at godspeedinstitute.com. And Chantal, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, It's been a distinct pleasure speaking with you. And, of course, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, But if anyone out there has a chance to uh, support uh, this organization and this choir, please do so. Uh, Invite them to your town. (laughs) You will not regret it. Um, It's just a, a treat in every way. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for the Godspeed Institute today. The Godspeed Institute is an independent educational organization dedicated to promoting religious tolerance and spiritually-based living. If you'd like to hear this or any of our previous programs again, or send it to someone, simply go to Godspeedinstitute.com. Please send your comments to info at godspeedinstitute.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And join us again as we continue to explore all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems. Until then, we wish you Godspeed on your journey.